This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Welcome to Valley Views. Today we're visiting with Elliot Jackson, the program manager, and Chris Tabb, artistic director from Westcliff Center for the Performing Arts. Folks, welcome back. Good Thanks. to see you, Gary. You've both been here multiple times. We always like to uh, touch base at the beginning of theater season. What does 2022 look like? Well, we're hoping to produce a full season just like normal, (laughs) Uh, assuming that everything can work out in terms of COVID situation. We definitely have some protocols in place, and we're... You know, looking at continuing to mask as audience members and uh, as uh, cast members when possible, when needed. We have a full season planned, and we're planning to have auditions at the end of January. And it's open to anybody in the public who's interested in coming out and doing a little theater. And what is the date for that? We'll be having auditions Saturday, January 29th at 1 o'clock in Studio 2, or actually in the theater itself, in the Jones Theater. And then we'll be having callbacks Monday evening, January 31st, at 6 p.m. And you're trying to cast a handful of plays? uh, Yes. Not not just one? Yeah, we're trying to cast for the whole season, so we get people committed early on to the... Well, well, half the season, anyway. Yeah, Yeah, through Shakespeare. Three shows. What are the three shows uh, for folks? We're going to uh, start with a Neil Simon play, The Sunshine Boys, and then we're going to go on and have two sh- uh, two plays for Shakespeare in the Sangres this season. We only did one last year as we were coming back. So this year's selections are going to be Shakespeare's Twelfth Night and Moliere's The Misanthrope. And Moliere showed up in uh, Shakespeare a few years ago, as I recall. The Miser, perhaps? We've also done, we've done The Miser, we've done The Imaginary Invalid, and we've done Tartuffe as well. And I had a great interview with Dan Heaster on French theater. Tell us a little bit about the casting meeting. How, how does that work for folks who are unfamiliar? Well, you don't need to come with anything prepared. We'll have sides or little scenes from each play ready for people to read with you know other actors. You don't have to do a monologue. You don't have to have any experience necessarily either. There are larger roles, there are smaller roles, and there's a place for anybody, in, even if you're interested in doing some tech theater. You know, whatever your particular bag is, we can probably find something for you to do with us. Sure, we need board operators, we need help with building sets, we need stage managers, we need costume designers, we need costume builders. Um, and we ended up with, I don't know, three or four people that thought they were just coming to help with sets and costumes, but ended up you know, finding their actor voice and uh, being on stage in some rather significant roles in some cases. With folks like Lissa and Steve Miller leaving the Valley, who were a big part of the theater for a lot of years, how did the numbers play out? Can you find enough cast members to make it work? Sometimes we have to go out and recruit, but you know, we brought some people who were 
have done other shows with us in the past into the production of Much Ado, such as Ron Beckner, who had never done Shakespeare before, but he'd done some Neil Simon with us, some other smaller productions. But for the most part, we really don't have that much trouble casting, and that's why we're doing these auditions early, so we can identify who's interested and get them committed you know, early on. We did miss that opportunity last year, obviously, because of COVID. So that also gives us time for whatever we don't have filled out at the audition to go around and twist people's arms, so to speak. So remind us of how it played out for the theater in 2020 and 2021. Uh, I know for the radio station, we had some challenges. We also found some opportunities that will make us better in the long run. How did it play out for the theater? We did a lot of Zoom work. <laughs> you know, starting with Elliot's great idea to do Business of Good Government as a radio play at the end of 2020. Of course, that's a, a Christmas story that we decided to record in the theater itself. And that was a real foray for us. I mean, talk about opportunity. We'd never really gone into a full radio play production kind of thing. And that, you know, it really helped us to partner with the radio station, with TC Smythe and, and so forth, that, to get us performing in, in one way or another. We did several Zoom readings of that play before we actually got together and masked up and did what we could socially distant on the stage. So that was great for us, and we're looking at doing some more of that kind of work. We've always had a strong relationship with the radio station, and I, you know, it, and people were eager to get out and try to do something right. to, to get their actor chops. And we were happy to rebroadcast that uh, right. this, this past Christmas. I feel like we learned so much from, from doing that and, and from having... Uh, the radio station be such a great partner, it has certainly prompted me to think more about radio plays and what can we do to sort of, you know, in, in the off season to to keep ourselves engaged and amused. And it and, did give us an opportunity to sort of upgrade a few of our technical elements. We'd had lots of donations in terms of lighting and some equipment, and we got a lot of that put together during the course of our time. Right, so off. during that downtime... There were some pluses uh, in the sure. in the long term. You're both actors. How do you view a radio play versus a live play? What, what are what goes through your mind as you're trying to connect with your audience? Wow. Well, you know, it was funny because as a you know, sort of the director, master of ceremonies of of business of good government, which was not written as a radio play, I felt like I learned a lot, and particularly upon listening to it again a year later, I learned a lot about what you need to do and not do for for radio plays. In fact, it's it's gotten me thinking. I'd like to go back and study some really great playwrights' radio plays, like Harold Pinter wrote a lot of radio plays, Carol Church. Chill wrote a lot of radio plays um, and sort of like what they do and, and you got to convey everything with your voice. Chris, you're really good at connecting with an audience. How do you approach radio theater? Well, again, it's all about what you do with your voice, being able to convey that character, you know, not just through the words, but also um, intent, you know, studying the intent of the character and conveying that through your voice. It's more difficult, you know, you don't get away with being able to mug at the audience, you know, like I'm accused of doing every once in a while. Uh, you know, you can certainly explore much more of what your voice can do for a character. And, you know, and frankly, one of the nice things is you don't have to memorize it. Yeah. So. That is true. 
Now, if someone wanted to find out more about perhaps getting involved with the theater, how would they best do that? Probably the easiest way is uh, for them to call uh, the theater, the number, which is uh, 719-783-3004 and leave a message. Or they can reach me by the theater's email, which is WCPA, Westcliff Center for the Performing Arts, WCPA at jonestheater.com. I will be happy to give people as much information as they can hold. Chris, one more time on the dates for the casting. Yeah, so casting, we're going to have our auditions Saturday, January 29th at 1 o'clock at the Jones Theater. And then we'll have callbacks Monday night at 6 p.m. And the Jones Theater address, by the way, is 119 Main Street, right here in downtown Westcliff. Good. Chris, a little bit about Twelfth Night, for those unfamiliar with the play. Sure. Uh, Twelfth Night is probably my favorite comedy. Oh, it's mine too. <laughs> um, it reflects on a lot of the themes that uh, Shakespeare experimented with in many ways. It takes this, it's the story of Viola and Sebastian who are shipwrecked on an island and separated. And Viola decides that she must dress as a man in order to survive. And in not this just new as world. a man, she dresses up as her brother. Right. Basically, becomes Sebastian, but goes by the name of C- Cesario. She runs across the Duke, who is desperately, hopelessly in love with another woman in his kingdom who is in mourning. That's Olivia. She refuses all of his suits. She is in mourning for her brother and and will not come out of it for any reason whatsoever. So the Duke continues and continues to send emissaries until Cesario comes around, Cesario Viola, who is, uh, you know, young, attractive, appearing to be, you know, not yet a man, but not, not yet, a, not also a boy. He sends Cesario over to woo Olivia in his for him, and Olivia is immediately attracted to Cesario. So we have gender bending issues going on here all over the place. So there, there are some pleasantries exchanged, and through the course of the play. It all ends up working out that Viola and Sebastian are reunited, and Viola ends up marrying the Duke, and Olivia ends up marrying, am I right, Sebastian? Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. On the comic side, you know, Shakespeare always has his great buffoons and clowns. Well, we have one of the most complex clowns in all of Shakespeare in the form of Festy, who's a musician, a singer, and not just a fool. Um, he's very involved in the trappings of the plot. Along with that, we have Olivia's uncle, Sir T- or cousin, Sir Toby Belch, who is an absolute drunk, who brings in his friend, Sir Andrew Aguecheek, to woo Olivia and thinks that they, they would be a good match. Well, they end up doing a little bit too much partying and get themselves into a little too much trouble when they take on Olivia's servant, Melvolio, who is also obsessively in love with Olivia. And they convince him to dress himself and make a fool of himself in front of Olivia just for fun. And it's, it, it turns into some of the most hilarious scenes you'll ever see in Shakespeare. I enjoyed the production of Biederman and the Firebugs last season. I thought that played out very well. I know when I was talking with Dan Heaster, uh, there was some concern of how an absurdist play would play in Peoria. What kind of reactions did you get? 
I really believe that everybody who came to see that walked away kind of stunned. The, the play itself is so thought-provoking, and, and even though being written post-World War II by a, an Austrian author who was reflecting on the dangers of, of Nazism and totalitarianism, it really brought up so many themes that we are dealing with today as well. So I believe that when, you know people walked out of that theater, I remember watching their faces. It was, um, wow, I really got something to think about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that was an absolute success, I believe. Yeah. One of the things it taught me too was like, hey, you know, people will come out in the late fall for a show. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm proposing that we make that full length slot um, in October, uh, sort of a regular feature of our series now. So I'm actually, I have proposed to uh, direct uh, a play in that kind of more towards Halloween-y theme. But this year, it's, it looks like it's going to be Bell Book and Candle um, about witches in Manhattan. Good. <laughs> Good, good, good. Elliot, 10-minute plays. Yes. So we were going, the, the, the winners that we picked for to be produced in 2020, we are finally <laughs> going to get around to producing this year. And we had talked about, you know, the possibility of moving that 10-minute play slot to the beginning of the year and kind of kicking it off in March. But for one reason or another, that doesn't seem to work. So we're moving it back to its uh, sort of regular slot, which will be around mid-September. What about film at the Jones? We will be bringing movies back, I promise. We may not, however. I mean, COVID has just changed so much of, of, of our business model and what we have to do. The house will be at half capacity, so only about 50, 60 tickets max. So probably what we're going to do is, is ease back into it and try and start showing movies again in March. And it may only be like one or two weekends uh, a month. We do take the uh, safety of our audience and our performers and our community very seriously. So we don't want to impinge on anybody's fun. We want to bring movies back, but we want to make sure that we can do it safely for our audience. Okay. Chris and Elliot, thanks for visiting. Thank you, Gary. Our pleasure. Good luck with your casting. We've been visiting with Elliot Jackson, program manager, and Chris Tabb, Artistic Director from the Westcliff Center for the Performing Arts, talking about the 2022 theater season. My name's Gary, and we'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 6 p.m., and again on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. I'm walking on a